Hello out there and welcome to the Fantasy World Order Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am Pat Donovan and joining me tonight once again is Toby Gavon from Batflip Crazy Podcast and at Batflip Crazy on Twitter. Toby, what's going on? Hey Pat, how you doing? It's good to be back on for the second part of our first base extravaganza. Yes, and what an extravaganza it is. <laughs> We're going to be reviewing between the 19th and I believe the 30th ranked first baseman tonight. So let's kick it off with Yuli Gurry L at 204.43 in terms of NFBC ADP. And, you know, I mean, I think we know what he is, right? Teens power, high average, in a good situation, um, but sort of boring. Do you think he can become something more or he just is what he is at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he is what he is, which which can be a valuable player for a lot of teams. I think there's very few late sources of batting average. And so he's a guy who, you know, if you're putting your team together and that's one of your areas of weakness, you may look to Guriel. I also think he's, you know, further down the ADP than some of the guys we discussed earlier, like Eric Hosmer with kind of a, a fairly similar um, profile, uh, maybe some would argue because the batting average has been more consistently higher, a, a better profile. But, um, you know, I like Guriel a lot. He, I was in on him last year cause he was going so an injury to, uh, his handmate bone. So I kind of lost interest in, in pretty much all of my leagues. I only had him in one, uh, but it didn't seem to impact him that much. He did improve as the year progressed, his ground ball percentage, uh, went down actually to 40% over his last 80 games. So below league average, and he's in a good lineup. He should be hitting in a decent spot in that lineup, at least for RBIs. Um, and so he's a guy that I, I think, you know, going around pick 200, if he fits into the team that you're constructing with that batting average, uh, he, he, I'm not too afraid to get him. Although I am a little concerned the Astros may, uh, may upgrade before the season starts. How about you, Pat? What are you thinking? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's much more there. I mean, he's a nice player. He's got great contact skills, obviously. That's apparent from the strikeout rate. Uh, but he really lacks the authority to do a lot with it. His hard contact percentage is only 30.6%. And I think we've got a pretty good feel for the player that he is. I mean, we're at 1,200 career plate appearances. And that's pretty much two seasons of work. And it's about a 17-homer pace with a few steals and a plus batting average. I, I really like the... Um, comp that you made to Eric Hosmer, because I, I think that's sort of apt. You know, if you, if you looked at Hosmer and you didn't have um, the batting average fluctuation, but you also didn't have probably the upside to hit for mid-20s power in the most ideal scenario, um, that's the kind of player you're looking at. And, I mean, Guriel doesn't even just function at first base. He's going to have eligibility at second. He's going to have eligibility at third. So he's sort of that Swiss Army knife piece you can move around. Um, but I, I do share your concerns that, you know, he's sort of a fringy sort of bat, especially for a, a hitter that's going to play primarily a corner infield spot. So there is a, um, a significant risk that he gets um, upgraded on, you know, before the season or, or even during the season at some point, um, you know, especially because now they've had Ed Brantley and they're talking about putting him at first base. Uh, on occasion, it's going to get very tight there um, very quickly. So it is something that does concern me a little bit. Definitely. All right. 20th is uh, Marwin Gonzalez, uh, but we're going to leave him for uh, one of the middle infield positions. 
So we'll take it to the 21st, and that's Trey Mancini, uh, who's at 231.22. He has outfield eligibility. You know, Mancini is sort of what I like to refer to as the discount version of Eric Hosmer. Uh, Too many grounders, but not quite as many as Hosmer. He doesn't have Hosmer's patience, but is pretty much in line with Hosmer from last year in terms of contact ability and swing strike percentage. Um, He's had... The, the Babbitt roller coaster that has become Hosmer's um, sort of, uh, you know, modus operandi um, with one year of plus Babbitt and one year without it. The profile in terms of batted ball authority is sort of meh. Uh, you got 33.6% hard contact last year. Hosmer was at 34. 20.3% soft contact. Hosmer was at 23.5. And you had a homer to fly ball rate that was right around 20%, which was where Hosmer was. Um, you know, it's similar to Hosmer. I, I really think it's going to be, it's going to come down to sort of what the Babbitt gods do. Um, and, you know, I, I expect that Mancini is going to hit, you know, low to mid twenties power. Uh, so it's just a matter of whether or not the, that's going to be accompanied with a like 280, 290 type batting average, or it's going to be a 250 batting average. Um, he's certainly going to have a lot of volume. So that brings me to my uh, question for you. Do you feel like in most cases you're going to take the playing time volume that comes with Trey Mancini over players that don't really have the clearest path or or, or a a secure role like uh, guys we talked about the other night, Luke Voigt and, um, and Jose Martinez? Well, I mean, we both love Luke Voigt, so yes, <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely not over Luke Voigt. Um, you know, no, I think that that's a really good question. I think some of that will depend on team construction, but I do, I do like Mancini at least, um, probably over Martinez uh, if there isn't a clear path to playing time, only because I think they have um, at least somewhat similar profiles in the sense that they hit a ton of ground balls, right? I mean, I feel like we're talking about a lot of the same weaknesses for hitters. The thing I'll say for Mancini, and I think what makes him particularly interesting, is he does have that high ground ball rate, but when he does make contact in the air, it's generally solid contact. He had an 8% barrels per plate appearance rate in 2018, which is good for 32nd among uh, batters with 155, uh, 150 batted ball events or more. And then after July 1st, he was actually better. He had 24 barrels, which was 22nd uh, in Major League Baseball. So he definitely makes quality contact. It's just those damn ground balls, you know. And, and like so many folks, I think the thing that I do like about looking at his profile, when I looked at his rolling average, you know, he improved contact as the year progressed. And so it really leaves one, you know, major weakness which is the, the, the heavy ground balls. And um, like you said, you know, BABIP will determine a lot of this. Having a high number of ground balls can be helpful for your batting average. But I think in his case, getting a few more line drives and fly balls overall would really round out the profile nicely. So I'm kind of in on Mancini in the sense that he's one of these guys that really only needs to make a change in one area of his game to drastically improve. And, and that's ground ball rate. And with the new regime in Baltimore uh, coming from the Astros, where I think they have a better understanding of what makes for a successful hitter and they will be a little bit more data driven. 
if they can just get him to get that ground ball rate down uh, just the slightest little bit, you know, even if it's 5% uh, with the fly balls going up 5% too, that could make it make a big difference with the quality of contact that he makes. Yeah. I definitely think there is something to that regime change angle. And, and, you know, it is interesting that he, he, he hits the ball at the, when he's hitting the ball at the proper angles, he's hitting the ball hard. Um, you know, which makes you think that, you know, if there is a change here and then maybe the, the ceiling moves up to, you know, maybe like a low 30 homer range. And then, you know, at that point, if he's a 260 hitter, it doesn't really matter. Right. So, I mean, you know, you can, you can definitely live with that. And so that sort of gives him like another path to value. Um, I I should mention, he's also probably going to have outfield eligibility um, in most formats. So, I mean, it's not, it's not like the best eligibility profile. It's not like Goriel's where you got three infield positions, but it's always useful to have um, the ability to move a player around, especially a player like this that might be a bench piece um, depending on, you know, your league size and format. Okay. Let's move it to Tyler White, 22nd, uh, 235.7. Uh, he's another playing time question mark, but had somewhat of a breakout year uh, for a player that was pretty much a quad a guy um you know i hate to keep doing this you know from the other night but if you take out the playing time what does tyler white look like for a full season yeah there are some intriguing aspects of white's profile i actually liked him i was asked uh a couple times last year because white got hot around the same time that luke Voigt did you know which of those two players i preferred and unfortunately, I went with White, and that was just because I felt like the, the underlying skills were a little bit more stable. Uh, you know, he's got a low O swing. Um, he's got a really high contact rate, especially for somebody who at least last year was hitting for some power and has a history of hitting for power. But the batted ball quality did lag just a little bit compared to some of the guys that we've covered before. Mm. You know, 6.3% barrels per plate appearance, which isn't you know, that's, that's solid. It's above league average. Um, but too many pop-ups or poor fly balls, according to X stats. Um, so that kept the average pretty low, despite having a lower than league um, average uh, strikeout rate. You know, he was at 270 last year. So I think just where he's going and the path to playing time, I like uh, a lot of players just a little bit more than white. I don't see the playing time. Uh, as clearly as I do with some of the other guys that we've covered. Uh, but I do think, I mean, if you were going to give him, you know, if he was going to get 600 plate appearances next year, I mean, even, even if he, um, you know, with the skills that he's shown and even playing with the Crawford boxes and in Houston and in that lineup, I, I would, I would love it. I just don't see it uh, being very clear right now, given some of the things that we talked about when we covered uh, Yuli Guriel. Uh, what are your thoughts about White? Yeah, I mean they're they're very similar to yours. I, I mean he's a he's a he's a capable bat. Like he to me he looks like about a two seventy hitter with twenty to twenty five homer pop and good OBP skills. Now if you're and now that's of course over a full season. If you plug that sort of skill set into a very capable Astros lineup, you've obviously got a piece that's interesting. Um, but it, it just comes down to playing time path. And, you know, we've already talked about Gurriel. Um, you know, I mentioned the fact that they've added Brantley. 
they were hunting for Nelson Cruz, um, you know, so I don't know if they might get involved with Encarnacion or uh, Jose Martinez or someone of that ilk as well to come in and be sort of a full-time DH. Um, then if that, if that occurs, then there really isn't a path for White to really see a significant amount of playing time barring, you know, an injury or even two. Um, you know, and in terms of skills, yeah, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's got excellent play discipline. But the batted ball profile does leave something to be desired. I don't, I don't think he's going to approach, if he had a full season, like the 30-homer pace that he had last year, um, just because it doesn't seem as though the hard contact is there um, to support that sort of um, season. You know, maybe, maybe in the high end, the highest, highest end of, of what he could do is that. But I wouldn't hold my breath for it. You know, he just seems like a low-20s homer guy. 270, 275 with good OBP. And, you know, it's not, it's not a terrible asset. It's just it sort of lacks ceiling. Um, and, you know, there are other players with playing time questions that have a higher ceiling, like um, Voight and like uh, Jose Martinez. And if I'm going to take a guy that I'm not sure has um, a role like that, I'm going to take the guys that at least have the upside because I can find – something equivalent to what Tyler White would give me over the course of a full year, um, you know, elsewhere uh, or, or on the waiver wire, even in a, you know, deeper league, you're able to find the sort of 260, 25 homer corner bat um, most of the time. So I, I just think it's a pass for me at this price. Okay. Let's move to Justin Smoke, 243.65. Um, so, Moving away from guys with playing time issues, Smoke fell back to earth in 2018. Do you think that's his true level, or do you see a path where he could get back to 2017? Yeah, I think at at his age, um, I think 2018 is probably what we're most likely to see from Smoke moving forward. I think 2017 was kind of, you know, the season where everything went well. He had the improvement in plate discipline, improvement in contact rate. Uh, the batted ball mix was really nice and the quality of contact, barrels per plate appearance, everything was at kind of a career high. Uh, his skills remained fine. I mean, the, the plate discipline has stuck around, saw a little bit of a drop in contact, a slightly different batted ball mix, fly balls down just a smidge. Um, but, you know, I think he's getting older. I don't anticipate that he's going to uh, necessarily improve back to that 2018 level. But he's a solid hitter. He's probably going to get playing time uh, in the Blue Jays lineup. They don't have anybody uh, right now, at least, um, uh, that seems to be pushing him uh, too much. Uh, but, you know, that can obviously always change with a young team. Uh, and smoke heading into his free agent year if they want to give somebody else a look. But I think he's solid. He's not costing you a lot going at his current ADP. And I think he can still provide you, you know, mid 20s home runs, a little bit of a uh, lacking in batting average, but some RBIs as well. And, you know, drafting at this point in time, I think there's some value to yeah, that. Yeah, I think your what point about, you? about um, his role being somewhat safe is a good one. But it's also, we have to keep in mind, that they might move him being that he's in the last year of his deal. So while his playing time up front might be secure, um, he could very easily go the path of Justin Bohr 
um, get traded and be a, you know, a high quality bench bat or a platoon guy, um, you know, come the trade deadline. So, you know, I think you have to be careful in terms of how much uh, playing time projection you're going to give him. Now, I don't see much of a change. I mean, he's, he wasn't swinging much outside the zone. Um, he had a sub 10% swing strike rate, and he was good to average versus most pitch types. I think the K rate surged a little too much for him. But I think you could also probably say the same thing about the walk rate. I think that was sort of an anomaly. Um, and I would expect them to return closer to 2017 levels in terms of um, you know Ks and walks. Uh, on the power front, you know... I, I, I just don't know that I can see him returning to 2017 levels at this point, um, especially because he's sort of one of the centerpieces of this lineup. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of I, – I, I know that lineup construction is, is something a lot of people like to dismiss, but when he was – when he had that breakout season, he was in the lineup with Batista and he was in the lineup with Encarnacion, and there was a lot of hitters for pitchers to fear around him. Um, Donaldson as well, of course. Um, so there were a lot of bodies in that lineup that pitchers need to be afraid of. And, you know, at, at some point you have to pitch to somebody, right? Um, and, and, I, and I just don't see that now. Um, as big a fan as I am of Randall Grichuk, I don't think that pitchers are, um, you know, avoiding him for the sake of throwing to Justin Smoke and giving Justin Smoke, you know, grooved fastballs. Um, <laughs> to an attempt to get him out. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that, I think there is a middle ground between the two that might exist. And I think that's probably where I'll have him probably shaded a little more towards last year. Uh, you know, I can see the, I can see the homers getting up around 27, 28 uh, with like a 255, 260 batting average. And it's not, it's not a bad piece. And, and like you said, I do think there's some value there because he will be in the heart of this lineup. And there are some interesting bats in this lineup. And, but it, it's just, it's not, it's not terribly exciting. It sort of lacks um, ceiling, which it's sort of a, a redundant thought about these names. But um, I just think that that's the most accurate way to put it is just that this is sort of a, a boring pick. You know, you're sort of trying to just add some additional power, um, you know, if you, if you needed it. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's sort of like Goriel in that sense where you're taking him for the batting average. This, this is sort of the pick where you're taking the guy for the power. Yeah. And you, and you managed to yes. find a way to work in Randall Grichuk into the first base, uh, pro, uh, uh the first base, um, yeah, yeah. Profiles that we're doing. Right so that's, that's a step in the right But I probably missed right? my opportunity because Trey Mancini, but eh, whatever. <laughs> Oh man, who knows? Maybe there's a there's, a, there's somewhere <laughs> another Orioles first baseman we can work. In oh there. yes, yes. It Have is, you seen uh, VR's ADP up and up by and the up way up and up and up. recently? But you know, I still like yeah. him better than Mondesi. But that's another conversation for another day. Okay, so um, <laughs> Carlos Santana, twenty four, two forty four point one seven. He's got third base eligibility, where he's um, in leagues where. He, they give the eligibility for 10 games started. So he was a Mariner for a minute, but he went back home to Cleveland. You know, I, I sort of like the return home. I was really on him in Philly. Uh, it was one of my big misses last year. Um, and it's sort of a lesson learned on the danger of using spray charts. 
but I, I do th- I do think it was mostly just bad luck and a little bit of pressing from Santana. Yeah. Uh, still displayed elite play skills. He walked more than he struck out. Uh, Walker was sixteen percent. The strikeout rate was only thirteen. Um, and then you know you can't really teach that sort of um, plate discipline. And so I mean the OBP is is really strong and that's going to play really well in a lineup with Ramirez and Lindor. Um, on the BABIP side. The pop-up issues and lack of authoritative contact have always sort of capped him. But the 231 BABIP he had last year was more than 30 points off his career average and nearly 40 points removed from where he was in 2017. So I think you can safely expect a return to sort of like that 265 to 250 range of batting average outcomes that we've seen from him in most years. Uh, But the question is going to turn on whether or not he's going to be a low to mid twenties power guy, or if he can get back up around or over 30, like he has a couple of times during his season. And that's really just variance in the home to fly ball rate. So, I mean, it sort of almost becomes like the Hosmer Babip thing where, you know, you're really betting on the variance in the guy's profile. Um, you know, but I, I would project him right around 25 homers, a few cheap steals, you know, five, maybe, and uh, 260 batting average, but the run production should be pretty decent, at least, at least on one end of it. I think you know it, there's a shot, there's a chance that like he's sort of in an RBI only spot, and then sort of is stranded with what's behind him in that lineup, or if he's situated in front of or in between both Lindor and Ramirez, that's probably the sweet spot for him. And I think that's ultimately where he ends up. Um, so, I mean, I think the run production will be okay depending – it might slant one way or the other depending on where he hits. But um, I, I still think Lindor and Ramirez are good enough battery mates that they can sort of carry a lineup and carry somebody like him to a, a decent run total. How about you? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it with your analysis. I think – I love the plate discipline um, – and what that provides you with, I think that he was unlucky last year, you know, 229 batting average, but his expected average was at 260, which, you know, the two previous years he hit 259. So he's not quite Chris Davis, but he has been, you know, fairly consistent with that batting average outside of, um, outside of this past year, um, or at least he was for in 2016 and 2017. Um, I like the fact that this, the contact skills are, have also been really stable over the years. And like you mentioned, I mean, there's batting behind Lindor and Ramirez um, in that lineup is going to provide him with some nice RBI opportunities. And so I think you can, you know, one thing that's nice about Mark, about Santana and getting him at this place in the draft is he's so consistent. I almost feel like you can pencil him in for, you know, 20 to 25 home runs, 80 runs and RBI because of that strong OBP. And then like, a, you know, with a slightly below league average batting average and, you know, and kind of just like set it and forget it. Not really necessarily in the, in, in the lineup, but like that's kind of what he produces every year, very, very consistently. And like you said, there's some variance in the homer to five ball rate. Um, but outside of that, like very, very consistent. And so I'd expect the same thing this year and going where he's gone. I think last year, you know, he was going 
like 170 to 190 range. And so I wouldn't necessarily call that a huge loss for yourself. He still provided, you know, some decent uh, contributions in terms of runs, RBIs, uh, and home runs. Uh, So I like him a lot where he's going right now. I'm probably going to own him at a decent number of leagues. He's a great corner infielder uh, from my perspective. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of, of Santana and of all the guys we've covered recently, I think I'm most likely to probably own him just because he's one of those few guys going towards the end where, you know, it seems like there isn't a huge range in terms of what the outcomes are that you're going to be. He's not going to have that, this, the ceiling. I don't think that some of the guys that we've covered, but uh, I think there's very little. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Provide you with, but you know, this is just, Switching to real baseball for a moment, this lineup is really in need of at least one more bat. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm not sure where it's going to come from, given that their yeah. motivation this offseason has just been to sh- sort of shed payroll. Um, you know, it, it's just it's it's like these three guys. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about Jake Bowers, but it's just. It's just, it's not a pretty lineup and it really, really falls off very, very quickly. Yeah. Definitely not. I mean, you're replacing Michael Brantley in the lineup with Jason Kipnis, who obviously the last couple years has not been uh, that great. There is, the back end of the lineup is just, there's some stolen bases there, but there just isn't, there isn't a lot of run producing or batting average that you see towards the end of the lineup right now, at least according to roster resource, you know, Tyler Naquin, Roberto Perez, Leonis Martin, Greg Allen, you know, those aren't necessarily the names we've come to expect in uh, the Indians lineup. And so hopefully they're a little bit more aggressive. They understand the window in terms of competing and kind of the, the easy time that they have right now in the AL central and try to take advantage of that somehow. And luckily yes. for them, that pitching staff is just un- All right, let's move to Peter Alonso, 25th, 245.7. So being a Mets fan, this may sound like bias, but this is generally where I like to shop for my um, prospects. I, I, I'm never one to sort of pay up for, you know, what would be your Vlad Juniors. Um, this is where I sort of like to take my shots. So things are shaping up for an April debut for Alonso. And if that's the case, do you view this as a steal, solid value, or do you think it's going to be a disappointment? Um, I, I don't mind taking a shot at Alonso right here. Um, I think, you know, I'm not a prosper, prospect expert by any stretch of the imagination, but the universal kind of, thought seems to be that he's going to hit for power um he's his forearms have been compared to the forearms of mark mcguire so that that is uh that is some sort of comparison um but i think he's going to hit for power if he plays and he gets played appearances uh uh brody van wegenen i I think that's close directly the gm for the mets (laughs) yeah uh, uh bvw uh, he he was saying that they were going to give him a shot from the get-go, and they felt like he could be the starting first baseman, which is really nice to hear. And so 
I think, you know, I think if he gets a full set of plate appearances, I don't see a reason why he can't hit 30 home runs. I think the real question is the batting average. Uh, there's no speed at all. And so, you know, if he hurts you in batting average and he hurts you in speed, we've discussed a number of guys who can give you that 30 home run pop, um, you know, who, who maybe be able to contribute a little bit more in the other categories. But rookies have, in recent years, have, have really um, taken the fantasy uh, community by storm. And so Alonzo could certainly be one, especially if he gets that opportunity. I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, though. As a Mets fan, you obviously, you know, track the minor league system a decent amount. Are you really excited about Alonzo? Do you think he's going to be able to, um, you know, contribute? Uh, yeah, I do. I do year? think he's got the potential to be a real steal at this price. Um, the power is prodigious. Uh, and I think the contact authority and distribution will lead to above average BABIPs. And I think that can help carry some early case struggles that may exist. Um, and I do think those will dissipate you know, as he goes on in his career um, and even as the year goes on, um, you know, I, I think that the K rate will probably sit somewhere between the mid to upper twenties this year. And, and I think it can get down to the lower twenties during his peak uh, in terms of, you know, looking at him from a dynasty perspective. Um, he's not just an all or nothing type. He has a measured approach. He has the ability to lay off bad pitches um, his swing strike rate in 2018 was just 9.5%. That's below the minor league average. And although the K rate ballooned at the AAA level when he first got there, he made gains as the, as the season wore on. So, I mean, I, I think he could be like a 260, 30 to 35 homer bat this year, depending on when he gets the call. I, I don't think they're going to go with him right from the start. I, I think they're going to wait two, three weeks and then call him up um, just for the service time implications. Um, but he's the exact combination of upside price and opportunity I'm looking for when I'm buying a prospect in redraft. And, and I do think that, you know, come April 21st, he's the everyday Met first baseman and um, will be given every opportunity to keep the job. Um, now he does have a profile where the swing and miss is such that, you know, he could struggle for a month and end up back down. That's a complete possibility as well. But uh, this cost isn't anything. You know, this is like 250. Um, you're you're taking a shot. And, you know, there is certainly a spot for him in the middle of that lineup, um, especially considering the number of left-handed hitters that they have that are is situated in the middle of the lineup. Um, you know, he slots very nicely as the number five hitter. Um, or even maybe a number four hitter behind Cano and Conforto. Uh, so I, I do think that there's a nice path here for him. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to take the shot. I, I think that he's – I think that the, the power is definitely for real. I mean, the StatCast data that – the limited StatCast data you've been able to get on him, um, I think he had the second high, hardest hit ball and two of the top five in the Arizona Fall League. I know he hit – you know, a, a monster home run off Nate Pearson off a 103 mile per hour fastball. So, I mean, there's, there's some impressive bat speed there wow. as well. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm surprised in looking at his minor league pro, profile. I mean, the K rate outside of triple a last year has stayed below 20%. So that's at least a, a, a good sign. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm in a little bit more than I said I was before. After hearing you and, yeah, and digging it a little bit deeper. Yeah, it's sort of funny that 
I've always found it a little weird when it came to him that, you know, there's always been this talk about the swing and miss and it, it really didn't bear itself out until, I mean, last year. And obviously, you know, like that's the, that's triple a, and that's the most advanced level prior to the majors. So, I mean, maybe it starts to pop up there and then carries into the majors. But um, to me, he's exhibited the ability to sort of lay off bad pitches and um, get deeper into counts. And maybe that's where the K rate comes from, but, uh, you know, it, just your vision of the player is just a little bit different than a little bit different than the reality because of the narrative surrounding him, which is why it's always important to kind of dig in and see see for yourself. Okay, let's take it to Josh Bell, twenty six, two forty nine point four three. Um, the power more than halved, and the batting average has not been there as expected. Do you view him as a post hype candidate? Yeah, I do. I do actually. I, I like Josh Bell a lot heading into this year because of where the price is. Um, I think last year he suffered a couple different injuries, and you could see that in the rolling average, um, the rolling averages that he had. But towards the end of the season, I think he started to put it together a little bit more. Uh, you saw the hard hit rate um, creep back up. Um, and the fly ball percentage also started to creep up. I mean, that's kind of been one of his things is he's always had really good plate discipline uh, throughout, you know, the minor leagues and early in his career. He's also was, if I remember correctly, had a very good contact pedigree um, during his time in the minors that has gone down a little bit, but he's still at or better than league average when it comes to, uh, the contact skills, which I really like, given that he has shown some um, power. And then um, and then I think, you know, in the Pirates lineup, I think there's going to be a spot for him towards the middle of the, the order. I'm not sure where um, roster resource has him right now. I think they have him a little further back in the lineup. But he was clean up heading into this year. And I think if he's able to maintain his health and put together the skills, I just love guys who – yeah, the roster resource has him batting sixth right now, um, but it also has Colin Moran and Francisco Cervelli um, in front of him. So there's not a ton of competition there in the heart of the order. Um, he's still a critical part of the team's future. Um, and so I really do uh, like Josh Bell this year. I think you'll be able to count on, you know, RBI from him. I think the home run total should get back up to above um, 20. And I think if he's able to, you know, get his fly ball rate up to league average, uh, his career high is 32.5% this year, then you could see that uh, uptick even a little bit more. And so I like a lot of what I see in the profile, the low strikeout rate, the high walk rate. And so I think it's just a matter of him putting it together. He now has close to 1400 plate appearances in the majors. He's heading into, um, you know, his age 26 season. I really like him. Uh, as a guy who could produce some some decent value uh, going, especially where he is around 250. Yeah, I'm not in as the ADP. as you are. What are your thoughts on Bell? I've been saying it for years when it comes to Bell that you just need to follow the ball. Um, you know, on paper, the foundation is really nice. Uh, good plate skills, no contact issues, the frame for power projection. He's got the playing time. So, I mean, all those boxes are checked, and that's really good at this point. Um, when you're looking at a player at 250. But there's fundamental issues, I think, with the way Bell hits the ball. 
Um, he's an oppo center fly ball guy. He only pulls 14% of his flies. And he, they're not particularly hard hit at 36%, which placed him 171 out of 303 qualifiers. Um, his grounders also suffer from a lack of authority, and those are pulled. So a 48.4% pull percentage on ground balls. So that's why Bellis Babbitt sits at 292 for his career. Uh, simply put, I think he needs a swing adjustment. Um, and that's not even just based on the numbers. It's also from watching him. They're just There's like a hitch in the way that uh, his hands move on his follow-through that I, I think is problematic. Um, second half last year, he was much better than the first. But it was propped up by an especially strong September. 52% hard contact, four of his 12 homers, a 205 ISO. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I always find September numbers to sort of be a double-edged sword. Um, you know, how much is it the player has gone through the year and made adjustments and um, is coming out the other side, and then how much of it is the September pitching is just terrible. And, dude, you know, Bell is just mm. dominating guys that should be in AAA. Um and at 205, it's a lottery ticket, and and he's not a guy that doesn't have some tools. He definitely does, so I don't hate it. I, I just don't think it's a spectacular bargain, um, you know. And 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 I think that he is a guy that does need to work on his approach a little bit, or or you know maybe not even his approach, just just generally his swing and his swing mechanics. I think. Okay, Jake Bowers, twenty-seven, two seventy-two point one three. He has outfield eligibility. A bit of a polarizing player. Where do you fall on Bowers? And do you think the average will get high enough to make the moderate power-speed combo play? Yeah, I I am high on Bowers. Um, <clears throat> I really, really like um, his profile a lot, especially as a rookie last year. He showed really strong play discipline. He was right around 25% for his O-swing uh, throughout the year and, and was pretty consistent about it. Uh, he also hit the ball in the air a lot more than I was planning on it. You know, he'd never been a huge power guy um, in the minors, at least according to his profile. Again, like I don't have a leagues or prospects. And so, you know, check with your resident, you know, prospect expert. Uh, but, you know, he didn't seem to have like a ton of, a uh, ton of power. And when you look at, um, you know, just kind of his batted ball profile um, in the minors, especially more recently, you know, his fly ball rate was never at uh, or, you know, even too close to 40%. Uh, but this year, um, you know, he, he got, especially towards the end of the year, he got that fly ball rate up around 40%. The hard hit rate was there too. He finished at 40.5%. Uh, He's got a power speed combo. He's shown that you know, in the minors and in, in the majors, you know, he did not have a great success rate this year um, in terms of his stolen bases, but it is a pretty, um, it's a pretty small sample. He was only at 50%, but uh, Alex Chamberlain's done some research recently and uh, the correlation year to year of stolen base success rate isn't that high. And it's likely because it's a small sample. He's also going to a Cleveland team that stole the most bases last year. And, you know, really gave the green light big time to uh, Lindor uh, and Ramirez. And so I think that will benefit his value somewhat. I also think that uh, progressive field 
especially for lefties, is a decent place to hit for power. And so I like, I like the change in scenery from that perspective for Bowers, although I'm always sad to see people leave the Rays because I just think as an organization, they do such a great job of being um, creative and, and what seems like helping their uh, players maximize uh, their own value. I like that a lot. I tweeted earlier in the offseason, I think Bowers was super unlucky on his uh, BABIP last year. Uh, he had a 252 um, BABIP. Uh, his BABIP on ground balls was 134. The major league average is 236. Now, he did pull a lot of his ground balls, and so there was the shift. But his um, pulled ground ball BABIP was .063. So six hits out of every 100 balls, whereas the major league average is .186, so essentially like 19 hits out of every 100. And then even against the shift, his uh, pulled ground ball BABIP was .043 with, versus the shift, whereas overall it was .159 uh, in, across major league baseball. So that's a huge discrepancy right there. It doesn't sound like a lot, but over 100 balls in play, that's like an 11 to 12 hit difference. And so I think uh, I would expect to see his batting average uh, go up a decent amount. You know, he hit in the 260s and 270s consistently uh, throughout the minors. So I think, I don't know if he'll get there yet, um, but I think the two around 250 is possible with some you know, 20 home run power, uh, double-digit stolen base uh, potential. And the one thing I'll say about him is I mentioned it, I think, with Mancini is what I love about Bowers is he's a young guy. He's been in majors once. I don't have any concerns about his plate discipline. I don't really have too many concerns about the batted ball profile either. He's already hitting the ball hard at a really solid rate. All he has to do is get his contact rate up. Um, his in-zone contact last year was at 80.1%, so about 5.5% uh, below league average. Uh, throughout his minor league career, you know, he only had one stop with a 20% strikeout rate. And so I see that being the area where he grows. I think that helps his batting average. I think it helps his power slightly. So I think you're looking at a guy who could produce like a 25, 10 uh, home run stolen base season with a decent number of counting stats. Especially with their lineup, I could see them batting him second because of the solid OBP, or I could see them batting him fifth, right behind Santana. Uh, and in either case, I, I do like uh, that profile. I like where he's going. Uh, it's not a steep price that you're paying for him, and I obviously think that the ceiling is pretty high. So um, I went off a little bit there. Bowers is kind of one of the guys I love. Um, I loved last year, and I really want to acquire in my dynasty <laughs> league, but Smata won't trade him to me. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on Bowers? Yeah, do you, I mean, do you I've like been what you sort saw of running hot year? and cold with Bowers, um, during my evaluation process, you know, on the one hand, you have plenty of hard contact, um, good distribution among batted ball types. Plus he runs a little bit, as you mentioned, he stole 16 bases across the minors and the majors last year. Um, you know, the Babip issue is what it is. It was 252 last year. And you put that with the 26% K rate. Um, even if the K rate improves a little bit, you, he's going to have to see an improvement 
probably on both ends of that spectrum to get um, his batting average to the point where he's got a decent ceiling and a, a non terrible floor. Um, because if it's sitting in the low twenties and he's still got the negative Babbitt, you know, there's that two twenty five, two thirty is still in play. And you don't want to be there as a guy that's got, you know, 20, 25 homer pop because you just don't have the power to carry it. Um, and, you know, there's an issue with the power. He's never been thought of as an elite power prospect, more of an above average hit and power combo. Um, so, you know, it, it's how real is the power? Um, you know, how real is it going to be over the course of a full major league season? You know, can he get to 25? Um, if he gets to 25-10, like you mentioned, and he's hitting 250 and he's got first base and outfield, yeah, he's a really nice piece, especially in that lineup. And that lineup is, is really the selling point here because he lines up very favorably in that lineup. He's going to be in a position where he's going to be either, you know, a guy that can score some runs or drive them in. Um, you know, I don't know whether he situ- gets situated as like a, uh, as the two hitter, like you mentioned, or, you know, Santana's the two hitter and then Bowers is the cleanup guy. Or, you know, they work somebody else into the top three with Santana hitting fourth and then Bowers hitting fifth. But it, it doesn't matter how it breaks down. It just it, it's very hard to get him in a situation where he's hitting lower than fifth in that lineup. And that means that the run production should be there, too. So, yeah, I like the player. I like I like some of the skills. I, I think you made an excellent case for, you know, areas where he can grow. Um. But, you know, you also have to be concerned about sinking your batting average here. Um, the good news is, is that if he's relatively cheap and, you know, if he has a really rough start to the season, you can move on with very little sunk cost. Um, there's also the fact that he might have some platoon issues. Um, very small sample last year, but 176, 276, 319 against lefties. Um, that's not good. And they do have some um, right-handed bats. I know that they traded for Jordan Luplo um, from Pittsburgh, um, who's a nice right-handed bat that I, that I like a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, there's always a chance they bring back a guy like Brendan Geyer, uh, who they've had the last few years. And then if he finds himself in a platoon situation, the volume's not there and so on and so forth. So maybe the average goes up, but the – but the the run production volume goes down. And that's really what I think you're trying to get from him is the non-zero speed, you know, the 10 or so steals plus the run and RBI potential. Um, because I don't think the power is going to be, is going to be special. Yeah. The, the one thing I'd say about the power is just in just doing a little digging right now is he did have a 48.8% hard mm-hmm. hit fly ball rate, which is really nice. Um, well above league average. And then his hard hit pulled fly ball rate was also right around league average, which is nice. And I also did a very bad thing and overlaid his, uh, don't his do it. Hit chart, his spray chart. <laughs> don't do it. Uh, over, over progressive field. <laughs> I know we were both guilty of that with Santana last year, but just in case you're into that type of thing, uh, four, five, six, seven, 
eight. He had eight sure additional home runs in progressive field uh, based on his batted ball profile last year. Again, for folks listening to the podcast, don't do this. I'm just, I just had to do this after uh, Pat's comment uh, earlier about Carlos Santana's spray chart. But I do think it's yes, a better it is. power the park situation for him in progressive field. And, yeah, and you've seen what Lindor and Ramirez, two guys who were kind of contact batting average guys, have done. And so if they can teach him uh, the, the, the wise ways of uh, hitting the pitch out in front and pulling it in the air, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what's possible for uh, Jake Well, Fowler, and another thing, another thing that I think that time. we should raise here is, is that – um, the pitching that he's going to face in the AL Central is much worse than the pitching that he faced last year in the AL East. So, I mean, not only is he yeah, going to a great plus point. park, he's going to see a lot of bad pitchers um, much more often than he did last year. I mean, he's going from facing, you know, Chris Sale and – Luis Severino and David Price to facing Brad Keller and Ian Kennedy and um, who's a bad pitcher on Detroit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Everybody. I still, I still have some belief in Michael Fulmer. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan Zimmerman. There we uh, go. Jordan Zimmerman. He will play. Yeah, he will face Jordan exactly. Zimmerman so that, I mean, on, on the regular. So. There is some upside yeah. there too, and maybe you know, maybe that's where the power increase comes from. Just facing bad pitchers, um, and hmm. you know, getting a few uh, right. a few gimmies from them. Okay, so let's move to the guy that he's replacing in the Cleveland Indians lineup, Yonder Alonso, uh, two ninety two point eight three. Uh, White Sox made a deal for him, perhaps as a wink at Machado. So, I mean, taking a look at Alonzo, I think 2017 was probably his ceiling. But I do think that I, I expect a little more from him this year than last year. He kept the fly balls for the most part. He kept the pull approach for the most part. And the hard contact was roughly at the same level. The walk rate declined a little bit, and the infield fly ball percentage surged which is likely the reason why the BABIP dropped approximately 20 points, which pretty much dead on explains why the average dropped 15 points. Um, you know, it was simply a BABIP thing. Um, the lineup is obviously a downgrade. So what little he made game back um, from last year, he might lose in terms of run production. You know, you're going from Lindor, Ramirez, Brantley, Encarnacion. That's much more favorable than Jose Abreu, Yohan Mankata and Tim Anderson. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like we're on repeat tonight, but it's a 255, 25 homer type profile. And, and that's about what you would expect. Um, very similar to a lot of the guys that we've talked about tonight. Now I will say this, you know, I do like Alonzo as a guy that you can platoon in a, in, in a league where you can sub your guys in and out on a daily basis. Um, and he does have the advantage that we mentioned with Bowers. Obviously, he had it last year as well, but you know he's going to get exposed to some bad pitching um, in that particular division. He'll obviously have to go up against the Cleveland um, rotation this year um, as opposed to last year when he didn't. 
But yeah, I, I see him kind of mid twenties power, like two fifty five, two sixty. I, I think he is what he is. What about you? Yeah, I, I think you, I think you nailed it. I'm, I, I, you know, in digging in, I think the one, the one thing that gives me a little bit of solace with his profile is the return of some of the contact skills. He had a huge dip in uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, in terms of his contact, his in-zone contact fell 8%. Uh, it jumped back up about 4.5%, so still not where it used to be in the, in the low 90s, um, but in the upper 80s, uh, which is, is nice to see. I think... Yeah, uh, but that has a I lot think... to do with the approach change, right? You know, like when it was back, when he was hitting 90% in terms of that contact rate, he, he was hitting like 8, 9, and 10 homers, right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right with that. So forget that I just said that because he's a different player now. Uh, What I'll just say is I think what you said is right on. Um, I think that uh, from a splits perspective, I would just reiterate what you said. I think that there can be value in deeper leagues or in daily leagues if you have the opportunity to um, platoon him. So if you have a deep enough bench where you can keep him on there, even in weekly or bi-weekly leagues if you can find a time when he gets four righties in a row or three righties in a row if you do like a friday saturday sunday monday through thursday split you know something like that mm-hmm. there can be some value had there yeah or um, you just avoid the or you just avoid cleveland you know yeah totally it's unfortunate he doesn't get to bat against his own team though that might yeah. be that might help him out but <laughs> oh well Oh well, but yeah, you're I, you, what you're right on, Pat, with what you said. Okay, let's move it to the 29th guy, CJ Crone, uh, 299.04 ADP, DFA'd off a breakout power year in Tampa, and now in Minnesota. Do you think he can repeat that sort of power, or is it an outlier? Um, I definitely think he can repeat the power. I mean, the 30 home runs came on 27.8 um, expected home runs. He uh, he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball in the air. Um, I think my bigger concern, um, you know, it's not Javi Baez level, uh, but 38.5% O swing last year. That's essentially like his whole career has been around 38 to 40% in terms of his chase rate. Uh, that is about 8% worse than league average. So that's not good. But he also makes a decent amount of contact for um, a guy who hits for his amount of power, uh, slightly below league average. Uh, he, he was at his worst last year at 82.2%. But it was interesting, when you look at his rolling uh, averages graph last year, he had a period of time, like if you look at a 40-game rolling average, he had a huge dip in skills. Um, for a little while, which isn't necessarily surprising with a guy with his profile. You'd expect a decent amount of variance. But there was like a period of time um, uh, towards the middle of the year where he kind of just had a really hard time with doing anything, like making contact, hitting the ball hard. Um, And after that point, outside of that point in time, I think he was pretty solid. And I think the Rays, you know, I think they were put in a difficult position where you know, they have a lot of guys who are major league ready. And so they didn't want to get rid of him. They wanted to trade him um, and they didn't have any alternatives. And in looking at their lineup, I also don't think that they have, you know, many alternatives to Crone. 
um, at least right now, in terms of pushing him for plate appearances at first base. And so if he can get back to, you know, 550, 600 plate appearances like he did last year, I think, you know, 25 to 30 home runs is not outside the realm of possibilities. I wouldn't be surprised to see him batting, you know, I think roster resource actually had him batting second. I think that, I don't think that makes a ton of sense, but I could see him batting fifth behind Nelson Cruz, which is not going to be a terrible position uh, to be in with some of the hitters that they have going in front of him. Um, He doesn't strike out an insane amount, 25.9% last year, 25.7% the year before. And I think one thing that I'd, I'd say finally is, you know, he's been around for a while, but he's only gotten play, uh, consistent plate, dis, uh, plate appearances last year. That was really the first time that he was in the lineup on a, on a very regular basis. And so I think that that provides guys with an opportunity um, to grow a little bit. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of growth in Crone, even a little bit older, because he's gotten more exposure um, to big league pitching, and he's actually had a chance to get comfortable um, in a in a season. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of change there. And as we've mentioned with a lot of guys recently, I mean, he's going to hit in the AL Central, and he's moving from the AL East, and he's not going to have to face you know the Yankees pitching staff. He's not going to have to face uh, the Red Sox pitching staff. Um, and I think that that uh, that is also going to be beneficial to him. Um, so I like Crone a lot. He's the guy I kind of use all the time as an example of a guy that you can kind of wait on. Like if you're thinking of going after Jesus Aguilar or, uh, someone like that, I always use Crone as the example of the guy you can get, you know, I think in recent, more recent ADP, he's around 250, but even at that level, um, you know, a guy who can hit 30 home runs and knock in a, a number of RBI and, you know. Uh, and, and get you return you a lot more value than if you're reaching for a guy who just had a career year but has a similar profile. What are your yeah, what Crone are your thoughts on carried on over CJ? his pull heavy approach from his final season in Anaheim to Tampa, um, and that sort of spurred um, the thirty homer plateau. I mean, I should mention with terms of just seeing the sheer playing time. Um, I do note that the. Uh, homer to fly ball rate was at a career high, 21%. So I I think how much of that is real is going to be the driver of what Crone's value is. And Minnesota's going to help a little bit because it's annually been a plus park for right-handed power. Um, Last year it was down a little bit, but I I suspect that might have been more to do with personnel and less to do with the park itself because the park was – there were no changes, so – um, I can't imagine that the park was uh, went through some sort of shift uh, when there wasn't really anything to happen. They didn't raise walls. They didn't um, push the fences back. Um, so I, I think that the park will play better for him as a home park than uh, Tampa's did. Uh, he's a classic masher. Uh, doesn't have a great walk rate. He's not a huge strikeout guy. Um, but it's enough to cap the average for a player that's basically going to produce a league average Babbitt. Um, you do have to worry a little bit about the playing time situation. He's not a guy that's on a long-term deal. Um, it's a one-year deal. And Nelson Cruz is swallowing up the DH role. So, um, you know, he's really got to hold on to that first base role, and he's not going to be a plus defender there. So he's got a hit. Um 
you know, I, I see him more as a 25 homer bat than a 30 homer bat. And, uh, you know, 255 type hitter, maybe 260. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, there are all worse places to be than hitting behind Nelson Cruz. Um, and that lineup has sort of shaped itself into a very intriguing one. You know, you've got um, Polanco, who I like a lot. Rosario has established himself as a, a very good offensive outfielder. Um, Nelson Cruz is an animal to this day. Um, you know, you've got interesting guys um, that are going to be towards the back of the lineup that might be able to drive thrown in on occasion. Um, Miguel Sano is a guy that's hit, you know, 35 bombs in this season before um, and could do it again. Um, Byron Buxton is everybody's favorite prospect for ever and never. Um, Max Kepler uh, is extremely intriguing. So you've, you've got some interesting pieces there, uh, both in front of him and behind him. Um, so it's not a bad lineup. It's not a bad ballpark. I just think that the home run to fly ball rate might regress a little bit, but you know, I think you could do worse. Okay. So Jay Bruce, 307.13, uh, also has outfield eligibility, um, in Seattle. Now, what do you foresee for Bruce and does a mostly healthy year result in significant value at this cost or is he in the decline of his career? He struggled with injury last year. I'm sorry, Toby. He's can been, you just repeat that? You know, it's you, kind of you kind of broke like, up a little bit. Right you know, um, he's... Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Oh, I did. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I think... Um, is this better? Yeah. I, I think he... Um, you know, he is getting older, but he's still... He's, he's going to be 32 this year. Uh, I think he struggled with a lot of injuries um, last year, obviously. Um only seeing a 361 plate appearances. When you look at the consistency before that, you know, 26 home runs, 33 home runs, 36 home runs, all supported by a pretty close expected home run total. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a guy, especially again, you know, huge drop in, in ADP where he's going right now uh, in Seattle. I think they'll uh, give him a shot. You know, he should get plenty of plate appearances. And so I don't see a reason why he can't return to being a, you know, 25 uh, to 30 home run bat if he's given, you know, uh, everyday plate appearances there. Um, you know, there, there isn't any major changes in the underlying profile. You know, his in-zone contact was down a little bit, but, you know, not terrible for a power hitter right around league average in terms of his uh, swing rate. Saw his hard hit rate dip, but again, you know, I think a lot of that uh, would be a result of the injuries that he suffered. His fly ball rate was was elevated um, as well, so that's going to impact the batting average. But you're not really drafting Bruce uh, for his batting average. Um, <laughs> you know, 247 career hitter uh, hasn't hit higher than 260 since 2013. So you're really looking for him as a late source of power and RBI and I, and even potentially runs. I mean, 82, 74, 72, 71, uh, the last four seasons, not counting 2018. So uh, he's definitely worth a shot here uh, going very late an opportunity to return value. And he's got a good, as good a shot as any of the other folks that we've covered here late on to do that. And 
as the guy going latest among that group. Yeah, I'm really fond um, of this price. You know, I certainly um, he's got a bit of that old shot. and boring How discount to him at this point, which is kind of funny because he's not really that old. He's only 31. He's just been around for a long time. Um, and he also has that bad real baseball player discount, which is nonsense for our purposes. Um, he's moving to the AL, and he should at least get some at-bats in the DH role. Hopefully that improves his health, which I really think is what was to blame last year. Um, you know, as you mentioned, he was annually a 30-plus homer bat. Um, 2018 was completely eaten alive by injuries. The walk rate actually surged to a career high, and the strikeout rate was its lowest since 2009. So those are some encouraging um, numbers there. Um, he was battling plantar fasciitis and hip issues last year. Um, but, I mean, if you look at his profile, all it was really was missing was the power. A 7.3% homer to fly ball rate is less than half of his career average of 16%. Um, so if the simple answer is Bruce, Bruce gets healthy and returns to form, then this is going to be significant value in my opinion. Um, of course, with the ADP outside of 300, there's no meaningful investment. And if Bruce is totally washed, you can cut bait with very little sunk cost. If he's not, he can be a 255, 260 type hitter with mid-30s bombs in the middle of a lineup featuring Malik Smith, Mitch Hanniger, potentially Edwin Encarnacion, Domingo Santana. So it's not a lineup that's devoid of talent either. Um, so if, he's, if, he's, if he sees the PT, he, he's going to drive guys in because the lineup isn't that bad. Um, he's going to have opportunities to, to – to tack on RBIs, I think. Um, so, yeah, I do. I like this value a lot. All right. So, uh, before we sign off tonight, Toby, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. Is there anybody else outside of the top 30 that we didn't talk about that you've sort of got your eye on? Um, a player or two? <laughs> oh, man. I can't go like to 10 players that I like in addition. Uh, I'll just throw out some names uh, that I see that are going later in ADP um, who I would be happy to take a look at deeper. Yep. First up, be on Ryan top of my Zimmerman list. going at ADP 323. You know, a, a, yeah, a year removed from, you know, being one of the most valuable players, you know, in fantasy, at least in terms of the value that he returned. He hit the ball very, very hard last year. He was unlucky in a lot of stretches. He obviously wasn't going to repeat what he did. But when he's healthy, he still is um, a very solid hitter. And especially in leagues that have DLs, uh, I think that he's a guy that you can stash and play while he is healthy. He won't be healthy the full year or don't plan on it at least. But um, he can still mash. Uh, Brandon Belt uh, is a guy, ADP 314. As long as he's in San Francisco, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of a cap and he kind of comes with the same health issues that Zimmerman does in terms of not being able to stay healthy. But God, if he ever got out of, uh, you know, uh, AT&T Park in San Francisco, the guy hits hard hit pulled fly balls like nobody's business. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn from Kansas City. He had a really strong September. Don't put a ton of stock in uh, really strong Septembers, but he did it by having uh, solid plate discipline, uh, or actually really good plate discipline, decent contact, uh, a, a lot of fly balls, and he hit a ton of barrels um, and just a lot of really quality contact, which actually 
um, becomes, you know, somewhat meaningful pretty quickly. Uh, not everybody can, can get the type of peak exit velocity that a guy like O'Hearn can. Uh, Ryan Healy is a guy who, you know, has some limitations, um, generally plate discipline, but last year he showed some signs of putting it all together. Uh, Eric Thames, again, like he hits a ton of barrels. And so I think you mentioned this on pod number one, but if Jesus Aguilar struggles, they have Thames who is there and who's, who's able to step in um, and can also play outfield. Yeah, and they well. moved, they and moved so Keon Broxton today too. So I mean, he can get he's in the lineup basically and he's going to – He's basically the fourth outfielder right now. Yeah, uh, good call. Good call, good call. And then um, I'm going through these ones quickly, but Hunter Dozier is a guy who, again, um, you know, he's on the Royals. Um, I, I'm th- I think he's going to get full-time playing time with the Royals. He also had a decent number of barrels. Um, and had a really nice kind of uh, expected weighted on base average towards the end of the year last year. So in very deep leagues, I think he's worth a flyer. I mean, he's going around pick 500, so just monitor him on the waiver wire unless you're in like a 50-league draft and hold. Uh, Pete O'Brien had a nice little end of the season. He's playing with the Marlins, um, may not have any competition for plate appearances. And so just remember, like, you know, you don't have to have the most skilled guys in the world. Sometimes half the game is opportunity. And so if guys are going to get, you know, a look as the full-time first baseman um, on any type of team, then, you know, it's, it's worth, it's worth taking a gamble. Um, And, and so, you know, those are some of the guys that kind of jump out to me just based on a combination of opportunity uh, and skills that I've seen in the past. I think there's going to be a guy who's going really late, like there always is, who kind of puts it together uh, this year who hasn't before. And so those are some of the guys who have done it before who may may be able to do it again, and then some other folks who kind of may come out of nowhere. Even like Rowdy Tejas, he had a, a good end of the season last year. Toronto's a young team. Uh, they could try to find him a space in that lineup. Um, you know, and he, he hit the ball really, really uh, hard last year. So those are some of the guys that I uh, am looking at. Um, you mentioned you like Zimmerman as well. Are there other guys that you, you basically got your went eyes down on, your eye on that are going late, much later um, in drafts? You know, Zimmerman belt would be on. No, it's fine. It's, I'm glad you did. Um, you know, Zimmerman belt, I'm sorry. Obvious, obviously are on there. <laughs> I was very surprised that neither of them were within the top 30, especially given the, the quality of names that we sort of saw at the end. Um, especially Zimmerman. I mean, Zimmerman was like a top 50 player in 2017. So, I mean, that's the sort of upside you can get with him if, mm. you know, he does play most of the season. Um, and, um, you know, O'Hearn would have been on my list. O'Brien is a player that I am fascinated by. What? And the reason why is if you look at his – player page you can see that when he joined the marlins uh, a lot of his strikeout issues started to dissolve and and i think it carried over into a really small major league Mm -hmm. sample i mean we're talking like i think he got maybe 70 plate appearances but the skills were a lot better discipline wise than they were at any other point. And this has always been a guy that 
you know, almost similar to Peter Alonso, like what we were saying about him is that there's just no doubt about the power. Um, it's always just been whether or not O'Brien can make enough contact. And if he's sporting a sub 30 K rate, which is what he did with the Marlins, um, you know, from when he went there and the discipline numbers indicate to me that he might be able to carry that over. He could be a real monster um, from a power perspective and he doesn't cost you anything. So he's a guy I'm going to take a flyer on at the end of a lot of drafts, especially in deeper leagues, because I'm just very intrigued by the fact that he may have solved a lot of his um, maybe, maybe solved is the wrong word, but he's, he's curved a lot of his K rate issues. Um, And if he's done that, then he can, there's no reason he can't be a major leaguer and a quality major leaguer and one that can hit for upwards of, you know, 35, maybe even 40 bombs, even in Miami. Um, And, you know, they're going to give him every opportunity because it's Miami. Well, Yeah, and, and so look, thinking about the, some of the guys we mentioned, like Ryan Zimmerman last year had a 9.9% barrels per plate appearance. Peter O'Brien had a 9.5% uh, barrels per plate appearance. Eric Thames had a 9% uh, barrels per plate appearance. You know, And so um, you know, these are guys who make really, really quality contact, and that's a skill. And so if you're, if you're going to start somewhere with somebody taking that next step, you know, that's the type of guy you want to look at. Like um, Muncie was a guy who stood out to me on the waiver wire because of, uh, you know, the quality of contact that he was making. And so I think that, you know, if you're going to take a gamble on guys going late, I think that that's a really nice uh, way to determine um, – you know, which guys you take a chance on. O'Hearn, you know, had over 100 batted balls um, in play, 7.6% barrels per plate appearance. So there's guys. And then one thing that I was thinking about, too, is they're going right next to each other. But if you're in a daily league and you have the roster spot, you could do a lot worse than just getting Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce in Boston and having them, you know, and alternating them game to game based on, based on their platoon. Because those two combined, I mean, you know, had would have been a monster first baseman last year. Yeah, um, yeah, for and the you Red can also Sox. do that. So with that's another consideration and Matt Adams too. As well. Um, you know, because Zimmerman, like we've said, mm. is a guy that's probably going to spend some time on the DL, and Matt Adams has had outrageous stretches <laughs> in recent years where he's just been the hottest player on the planet. Um, yeah, and it's probably going to be in the middle of that lineup at times. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's another one where you might be able to do both, but that's in obviously very deep leagues with very deep benches. Okay. Well, that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, Toby, let them know where they can find yeah. you and your work, which is outstanding. Yeah. Um, thank you, Pat. Uh, I can be reached at Twitter. That's the best place to reach me uh, at batflipcrazy. Um, I also, as uh, Pat mentioned on the last uh, episode, I have a podcast that I I put out um, 
probably on average about two a week, two to three a week. Um, as we get closer to the season, I'm going to try to do some similar um, uh, positional previews where I'll, I'll definitely have Pat on to help me out with one of those. Um, so, yeah, check out Batflip Crazy. It's available on uh, all of your normal uh, podcast platforms. And as Pat mentioned, is a ve- couples <laughs> very nicely like a fine wine. Uh, with the fantasy world yes, order. Yes, I completely uh, agree with podcast. that. And I would be happy so. to come on. Um, we can obviously talk about that offline. Um, yeah, and you guys know you can find me at Patrick FWO. Um, and we will be back late this week with our second base preview. And thanks again, Toby, for coming on. And we will see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>